0: Hello and welcome back to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. My name is Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's Church. Well, 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 my good sir. It is January 1st, 2023. I don't know how that's possible. It truthfully still feels like it's 2020 or something. Like I, the the older I get, the more that the years just sort of keep rolling on by and time is meaningless. I mean, in a sense, I don't know, man, it's crazy. Uh, I don't It's not even real. I don't not I don't real. believe
1: in it anymore now that I'm an old an
0: old geezer. The the ripe old twenty six. A theology of time would be a really interesting, yeah. really interesting episode. Thank you for the, really the episode idea right off the <laughs> bat in the new year. But happy hey, that's New what Year, we're all everybody! About. Good ideas and <laughs> subpar execution. Right. Well. Well. Happy New Year, everybody. We are so glad that you are here. Um, we just wanted to start this episode by saying, first of all, thank you, uh, thank you for making twenty twenty two our best year ever as far as like overall downloads and engagement and, and and stuff of that nature um i think this this year compared to the two previous years in 2022 do, or sorry 2020 doesn't really count cuz we didn't have episodes for the first two months so it's like only 10 instead of 12 months of data but um it's still 2022 was the the year in which we had our most downloads and that is all due to you guys your your support your engagement Um, So we just want to offer our sincerest appreciation and thanks for for tuning in week in, week out. Um, I thought it would be kind of fun. I I almost want to quiz Lucas here because this is all on the spot. I know he doesn't go in and check the stats super frequently. I don't anymore either. Uh, But in front of me, I have our top 10 most downloaded episodes in 2022. If you had to venture a guess, my good sir what do you think was our most downloaded episode um, I'm glad you didn't ask me for
1: the top 10 because I don't even know if I can <laughs> remember 10 episodes we recorded yeah. um I I would I would probably guess and I think part of this is because it was I think my favorite so I, I might I might just have sort of a cognitive bias towards it but I would probably guess the behemoth what do we call it behemoth and leviathan episode the one where we talked it was during what was that july we didn't or may may mystery may that's right we talked no, it was, about it like, was sort july of, oh it, it was whoops. july yeah. <laughs> anyway uh anyway uh yeah no but like that that was a really fun month that was probably the most fun um theme month that i think we've done um meh at least besides besides heresy month, I think that was the that was the most fun sort of theme that we picked. Yeah, uh, it was agreed. definitely it was definitely the most fun episode and uh, series of episodes to prepare for. And I remember it being just just being very satisfied with with it. I, I that would be my guess. So um, you're, but
0: I'm not sure. In a sense, you are probably right. Um, so for those of you who tuned in last week, we actually re-uploaded that episode as like our uh, favorite or best of 2022. I mean, as Lucas said, he really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It was in our top 10. On on its own, the original was number eight. It was our eighth most downloaded. But if you factor in like if you added together the, uh, the original and then the re-upload, I bet it would be number one but that doesn't that obviously that math doesn't count if we're talking about one single upload one single episode do you have any other guesses before i reveal the the list here no i, I don't. don't all right well here i'm here, sure i'll i'm sure i'll kick myself as soon as you say it well i'll do 10 10 to 1 right here so these are our 10 most downloaded episodes number 10 from january creedal disagreements We had an episode where we talked about creedal disagreements. I don't even remember. (laughs) I mean, that was a year ago. Um, Number nine, can Credo Baptists treat their children as Christians? That was an episode that you proposed that we threw out there. Uh, Number eight, behemoth and Leviathan, as we just said. Uh, Number seven, the church fathers for beginners, which is interesting to see this one up that high. Um. Number six is a much more recent one from our our last heresy month. We have Bethel Church and Bill Johnson. Um, Probably caused quite a stir, I'm sure. Um, Number five, WWJD, what would Jesus deconstruct? Uh, Number four, on the Nephilim, which was another really good, uh, that was sort of that type of episode birthed, the mystery month that you were talking about. So in April and May, we had a number of like that type of episode. So that spawned an entire themed month. Number three was a re-upload. Interestingly, in March, we re-uploaded Becoming God, the Doctrine of Theosis. So Lucas had wanted to do that episode way back in 2020. And we ended up re-uploading it in in March. And it became our third most downloaded episode this calendar year. Number two is another <laughs> another re-upload. Um, he descended into hell. That episode, man, is always going to be one of our most downloaded. Both the original upload and then the re-upload. Both of those uh, are in our top ten all time, which is hilarious. Like The original and the re-upload are in our... F- ever since we've been a podcast, we, are both in the top we, ten. We should maybe
1: revisit revisit that, because I mean... It's not like we exhausted the topic in just one episode. Even if we uploaded it twice, it's still just one episode. So, Yeah, that would be
0: cool. So, I I agree. Uh, But this, coming up, this was our most downloaded episode. This was the one that you guys found the most interesting. It rocketed up our, like, download. It's now, I think, all-time number three. Um, And it is Speaking in Tongues. Oh, wow. our yeah. episode on speaking in tongues is the mm. most downloaded episode of 2022 and our third most downloaded episode ever. If you're wow. wondering, I'm sure you guys are since we're talking about, you know, what episodes have had the most downloads, our most downloaded episode. Lucas, do you know what it is? I think you do. The Carl Bart, Christian of History. Carl <laughs> Bart, Christian of History. I don't know what it is about that, but like when I each month I just sort of like look to see which episodes were downloaded the most in a given month. And Carl Bart is always in the top ten. I don't know how, I don't know why, but you guys seem to love that episode. Or maybe if you use Spotify um obviously within the spotify app you get both music and podcasts so maybe people are just like looking up carl bart a bunch for some reason i or maybe you use apple podcasts carl, and you're carl, bart, carl bart concept albums <laughs> yeah i don't i don't get what it is but but those were our most downloaded episodes in 2022 um again we want to say thank you we appreciate the support we appreciate the engagement. Um, I'm very excited for 2023. I'm excited for a couple of the themed months that we already have planned. I'm excited for the the possibility of, of interviews on the horizon. Uh, it sounds like we might be bringing back a guest that we've had on the podcast previously. I don't know when that's going to happen, but a peek behind the curtain for you. No other hints to be given at this time. Just think about it. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for 2023. I'm excited to get into a new year. Um, but let's let's get to the the heart and soul of why we're here today. Let's 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 talk about the things that we love and hold dearly in life, which are books. As you guys know, Lucas and I love books, so we're going to talk about books. I'm going to kick it to my my good pal Lucas here and he's going to tell us about the conversation today.
1: Today is as you're listening to this, it is the third day of 2023, but so it's a little bit late, but it's sort of our 2022 wrap-up episode like we've been talking about, obviously, wrapping up or summarizing or looking back or, um, you know, doxology wrapped uh, for 2022. But um, the other thing we wanted to do, because the Venn diagram of me and Jen's and doxology podcast kind of all center in on um books of all shapes and sizes and and while it might not necessarily come up every week also books of all kinds of topics too and all kinds of styles and all kinds of um backgrounds and sources and all kinds of reasons that we like to read them so given that that was sort of our um or that is sort of the when it comes to this podcast like sort of the thing that that we share most closely is that love of reading and especially interest in buying books. If you're anything like me, and I'm sure lots of people, the kinds of people who probably look for podcasts like ours probably relate to loving books um, and loving getting books probably as much or more than actually reading them. (laughs) Um, But we wanted to look back on what we read this year. Obviously um, you know, I'm still in school studying Bible theology history, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the books that I've read this year were related to school. You don't have the curse slash blessing of being forced to read, you know, a big stack of books every semester on certain topics. Uh, So you have a little, perhaps a little more freedom in what goes on your (laughs) to read pile. But um, regardless, uh, we wanted to kind of look back not just on the podcast or the topics we did, but we did want to look back over 2022 as just sort of a, you know, it's the, the Christian year started with in the first week of Advent. We know for a lot of you, you're just getting back to regular routine, tuning into a, your podcast if you're listening to us. So it it's not like it's the biggest thing in the world, but it is nice to mark the passage of time in kind of a, it gives us a good excuse to take a look back over the last year So we wanted to do that with the books we've read, but we also wanted to sort of do it in a more potentially interesting way. So since we are both users, at least casually, of the Goodreads reading book tracker app, we wanted to look back on each other's Goodreads lists for the year. Um, We made sure we went in and updated uh, what we've read and, and had all the right dates and everything. So... Basically, without consulting each other, look through each other's reading list for the past year and and just talk about it. So I have no idea what books stood out to you or what you're going to ask me or make fun of me or comments or something that came to mind, and vice versa. We haven't consulted at all outside of just planning on doing this. Um, and I imagine, especially looking through your list and 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 knowing my list um, and seeing. Um, just how many books... I mean, I don't, I don't know the last time you looked at it because I crammed a few in at the end <laughs> over the last two days, but um, uh, between us, we have over 100 books to choose from that we've read, again, of varying lengths and genres and authors and all that kind of stuff, even even formats, as, as we might get into. But um, all that to say... Um, there's a good amount of, of books, and within that, there's a lot of variety um, with both of our individual tastes, as well as just different stations in life and all that kind of stuff. So we thought it could be some fun conversation, even if it's not, strictly speaking, you know, going to remain in the realm of exploring and investigating theology in the Christian life. Uh, this is our podcast, so we're going to do what we want. So, without further ado... um. I guess. Um, I don't know. We didn't even plan who was going to start. I don't know if you have something right off the bat that you want to dive into from my list or anything you want to add to sort of like how you how you were thinking about this wrap up kind of conversation or or I don't know. I want to give you a chance before I just dive in.
0: I, I, I kind of figured it would be a good idea to sort of maybe even discuss how or why we read. Um, you know, I think everybody you've already mentioned, given your station in life, your situation, the things you do, your job, your school, your hobby, I recognize that not everybody reads. Some people read more than others. Some people read fast, slow, whatever. Um, so the way that I kind of envisioned this was, you know, we'd talk about why we read what we read. Um, we'll kind of go back and forth, maybe asking each other about maybe particular books that stood out to each other. Um, and then perhaps offer up our favorite or favorites or top three or something books of the year. So I'll I'll start by just sort of saying, like, my <laughs> my reading has changed somewhat dramatically over the last couple of years. I mean, when I was a youth pastor, I had a lot of time to read. I mean, part of my job was to read, to, to read theology books, to obviously be reading, um, like, commentaries and the Bible and other things. Um and so that th- those sorts of books took up uh, the bulk of my my reading time. I mean, for years, every day, for the most part, my wife and I, before bed, we read. So we read books, read on our iPad. Like I read comic books and such. Um, but like when I was a youth pastor, the bulk of my reading was theological books. Um, as I left ministry a couple years ago now, and have. Uh, been more or less like in the workforce or in the, you know, the normal nine to five job force type of thing. Um, my, my reading has changed. I, I've, I started to add in more fiction and nonfiction, um, biographies, memoirs, comic books. Um, I, I it was funny. So I, uh, my good reads, I wanted to read 50 books. I read 57 in 2022. However, a lot of these are comic books, many of which are relatively short and thin, but like this is how I keep track of what I've read f- throughout a whole year. So I put comic books in here too. Um, and I, as I looked through like the completed book list, <laughs> interestingly, there is not a completed theology book in 2022, which I found kind of interesting. I would have guessed that there would have been at least one maybe two. And so I was like, well, how did that happen? So I went and looked at like my currently reading list and my like want to read list, some of which I just haven't put in my currently reading list yet. Um, But there are like four or five theological books that like I just read at a completely different pace than I read other books. Like part of it, part of it is like how I have even changed how I consume theology books. Like it's not most theology books, aren't a story. Like if you're reading like a comic book or a, a you know, like the screw tape letters or, um, you know, like, uh, the space trilogy. I read the first space trilogy last year. Um, so it's like stuff like that, like that reads differently than a theology book. And I've found that like, now that I'm not a youth pastor, now that I'm not in full-time vocational ministry, um, Given the amount of time that I have to read now, like the bulk of my reading happens at night after, you know, a long day, right before we go to bed. And so like when I read really dense theological books, um, I find myself like being really sleepy and falling asleep too quickly. Um, Whereas like if I'm reading a story, whether it's a memoir, you know, someone telling the story of their life or reading a comic book, I find myself more engaged and thus not falling asleep as quickly. So I don't read theological books as quickly as I used to. Um, I I try to read, like today, for example, like is a day where this afternoon, uh, there's going to be a small window of time where I might read. And so that's a time where I might sit down to read like an actual theology book. Um, Like on my currently reading list, I have The Ministry of Women in the New Testament, Reclaiming the Biblical Vision for Church Leadership uh, by Dorothy Lee. Uh, I've got How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball, making sense of the anti-women, anti-science, pro-violence, pro-slavery, and other crazy-sounding parts of scripture. That was one that was gifted to me. Really interesting book. Um, Another one that I've been reading very slowly for like a year and a half is On the Road with St. Augustine by James K.A. Smith. Um, So like, that's just a couple examples of like, I'm still reading theology, I just read it differently. And I've even had a couple of people be like, well, why do you like, so this is back when I was a youth pastor, people would be like, why do you read so many books at one time? And I'm like, well, first of all, there are so many books that I want to read that I can't just read one at a time, I have to kind of like be in the middle of a few of them. But I've also, with theology books in particular, I know that they have like a form, a structure, a path. Like it's not like it's just random thoughts on a page. Um, But because theology is so rich and so deep, and it's about the almost incomprehensible God, like I've found it actually easier for me to read books in bite-sized pieces, even if I miss certain connections that uh, that a uh, an author may make. Uh, I've, I've found over time that um, the, the little nuggets or pearls or little bits of wisdom that I can pull along the way um, is more helpful to my like spiritual growth. Um, than just like, I'm going to read this entire book just to say that, okay, I finished and read this book, if, if that makes sense. Whereas like with a story, like a story has an actual progression, there's plot and subplot. And so if you read a book over the course of a couple months, like you're going to forget some of the things that happened in the first chapter, or first couple of chapters. So that's, that's sort of my long winded set, my long winded way of saying that like this 2022, my reading um, was a bit Peculiar. I, I read different types of books that I haven't read in the past. Um, I even read fewer comics than I had read the previous year. If you look at my 2021 reading challenge, I had wanted to read 50 books, and it says that I read like 267 or something like that. But again, a lot of those were 25, 30 page comic books. So I'm curious how you read. I know that you're a student, I know that you're studying. I'm sure you read for papers, I'm sure you read for pleasure. Uh, but give our listeners an idea of like why and how you read. I think um,
1: the way I read is not just the, the specific books or, or genres like you kind of touched on, like, um, and I touched on in the earlier too, like I have, because of I'm in the middle of a degree or drawing near to the end of a degree, whether I like it or not, my reading list for the, the year is going to contain a lot of school related books and therefore they're going to be of a certain type written in a certain way you know i'm not going to have nearly as as much room for you know just in in my day for things like um uh novels and literature or uh like you mentioned um which we'll get into with with your list uh lots of biographies and things like that that um I shouldn't say I won't have room for a lot of those, but but automatically I'm going to have less room than if I it was totally up to me what I'm going to read. But at the same time, um, I am sort of a little bit of a freak. And um, those are kind of all the books that I want to read anyway. Like I add on dense theological treatises during in the middle of my busy semesters for fun, because that's what I find fun. <laughs> um, so... I don't know why, you know, like I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, so there's that. So my list is definitely sort of, sort of like yours. It's very heavily weighted in, in a certain uh, direction um, with probably even less variety than yours in the sense of, you know, a lot more non-fic, you know, you could probably find a lot of my books in a similar section in the library of, you know, non-fiction, religion, theology bible that kind of thing um some of that is by choice some of that is by circumstance um but even the ones by circumstance i'm generally like it's a circumstance i'm pleased with you know i'm not i'm not uh i don't love every book that i read for school or every class that i take for school but i do i I still you know i'm not uh even here coming up on my final semester of this degree i'm not you know totally burnt out on it which is a a blessing for sure, uh, and not something that I know everybody gets to gets to feel at this stage in the in their education. But one thing that I've noticed is um, with my reading, um, I've kind of done the opposite of you in some ways of what you were describing. Where I'm becoming, you know, as the years go on and I just get more practice reading, uh, which might sound kind of silly, but um, what I mean is like practice reading books particularly that are making an argument that are trying to prove a point um you know that, that have a thesis or a couple of theses that they're arguing for um over the course of you know several hundred pages even um so think of books like divine scripture and human understanding right like just joseph, joseph k gordon over the course of you know between 250 300 pages of like like Text in that paperback. He is making a case to present his systematic theology of the Bible, and in doing so, you know each chapter and then the chapters as they relate to each other are structured very intentionally to be tracked, um, and that takes place over a lot of words and a lot of pages, um, and that's that's one good example. Um, as I as I read more and more books like that based on my, you know, the education that I'm currently pursuing as well as my interests and passions and, um, you know, things I want to do with with my future and stuff. And, and so uh, developing those skills, even in my free time, I'm finding it easier to read books as wholes, if that makes sense. So I find it a lot easier than I used to to be able to, if someone asks me, what is this book about? I can take, if, if I've read the whole thing and paid attention and not just sped through it for the sake of, you know, getting it done or something. Um, I find it easier than I used to, which is helpful for things like papers and class discussions, to be able to sort of have a mental map of what the the argument is. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe, maybe you know, my mental maps would be corrected, I'm sure, in a lot of places by the authors or people who are better educated on the topic or whatever but the point is I'm finding it easier to do that even with the longer books that I read and so I'm also finding what I consider to be a long book feels like it's getting longer and longer and to show you what I mean so I realized on December or, or on yeah December 30th so on Friday the day before New year's that I was that I was at 49 books completed on my goodreads so i was like i gotta find one more book that i can read in a day and a half or so um to get to 50 because then it's it's a nice round number and that sounds impressive to myself um probably not the best impulse but what can i say i'm a fallen human being um so i picked up this book that i've had for a couple years that i just haven't gotten around to um called israel matters uh it's by a former Beeson professor, former Anglican chair of divinity, actually. Um, but it is—it clocks in. It's just a—it's just a, a, a nice Brazos. Uh, you can see in the FaceTime, like fairly slim, um, paperback that clocks in at like 135 pages of text. Um, and I read it in like a day and a half without with time to spare. You know, I had and I had two shifts of work in between. Like like it wasn't it wasn't difficult and that is very new to me now i did read this rather quickly um and i definitely didn't pay nearly as much attention to it as i have other books and this is written for a popular audience not a technical academic textbook type thing so there i couldn't read every 130 page book in a day and a half or whatever um but the point is there was a time where i would have thought you know, 50 pages was about what I could handle in two days worth of time. And it's kind of it's I think it's just like a muscle. Obviously, I have an advantage over some people because I'm in school constantly reading and I enjoy reading, (laughs) which not everybody does. But if you're trying to knock out a lot of books, um, it helps to get in those reps of just like, I'm just going to sit down and read even if I don't necessarily feel like it. And so I'm finding that I'm reading bigger chunks at a time and I'm reading bigger books in shorter times, which isn't necessarily a good thing. It's just a different thing that I'm noticing in my own reading habits. And for me, being limited in time and liking to keep track and liking to set little goals for myself, like a reading challenge goal to read 40 books in a year or whatever, um, it's fun to see that kind of like muscular like reading muscle development where um, I, you know, I have some books, like I just started one today that I got that's 450 pages. And like that book doesn't intimidate me in the sense of like, man, this is going to take me like two years to get through. It might, you know, if I if it, it might, I don't know, but um, even I mean, it'd be worth it. It doesn't need to be fast. But it's like, oh, wait, I can do this. You know, like I was looking through the the like year in review page that Goodreads gives you based on your, um, the the books you you put in if you put in the the dates that you read it in that year, um, one of the things it it tells you is how many pages you've read and and not all of their not all the books in the Goodreads database are like accurate with pages and, you know, the uh, Jordan. Uh, I mean, just sorry. <laughs> Joseph Gordon's book, you know, contains like 200 pages of notes and bibliography in the because they used endnotes, so like it really inflated my page count by a couple hundred and whatever. But you know, I read I read something like 10,000 pages according to Goodreads, and when you put it in that way, 400 pages sounds a lot smaller. It's still a lot of pages, but like. 400 pages or 200 pages or 50 pages sounds different when you're like, oh, over the last several months, I've read 2000 pages and didn't necessarily notice it because it was spread out over several books. And I think that's a cool thing where, to me, I'm not saying any of this to be like, look how fast I read or I read big books because I have big brain. Um, I hope that's not coming across that way. But what I'm saying is like, it's this sort of excitement and motivation to tackle all different books, not just little books, or not just books that, um, you know, fit a, uh, a genre or a style that feels easier or lighter. Another example, and then I'll shut up, is I read my first Dostoevsky book this past year. I read Crime and Punishment. I finished it. Um, I started it in like April or May, and I didn't finish it until like the beginning of December, and they were like basically from August <laughs> until until I... Picked up the last hundred pages in December. Uh, I basically just had it sitting on my nightstand and didn't even touch it. Um, which, to your point about storylines and tracking with with uh, with novels, especially and compared to nonfiction, um, I think the end the the last quarter of the book would have been a lot more effective and powerful if I had not waited so long uh, to to get to it. And so I'm excited. Maybe not this year. We'll see how the year goes, because I've got two other Dostoevsky books that I want to read first. But I do want to reread Crime and Punishment and intentionally not take a break (laughs) to not only pick up on things that I missed, but also to get it as one whole, because it is one story with the same characters and all that kind of stuff. So you can kind of see how, like, like ups and downs, but being able to tell my, being able to look back and be like, I read, you know, one of these famous, like, landmark, historic, supposedly really difficult Russian novels, right? And it's like, I've always heard Russian novels are, they're challenging, they're, they're winding, it, there's tons of characters, and you got to keep all these things straight. In. And all of that was true, it was challenging, but I feel like having challenged myself and then gotten through Crime and Punishment, I'm like, whoa, it, it, it feels like Dostoevsky, whose books have always just been sitting on shelves in libraries and bookstores all around me my whole life, he's like, his, his works are like opened up to me, Right. And, adds, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, where it's like, you get this little spark of motivation and excitement, having sort of conquered what feels like a mountain, now you're ready to conquer a bigger mountain. So I'm like, oh, maybe this year I'll read two Dostoevsky books and get a lot out of it, or I'll read it without taking a huge break in the middle of it, and that kind of thing. And the same goes for my nonfiction. So that's kind of how I read. I've, I've just been, because I'm forced to read so much. And I'm passionate about the things I'm reading about. I find myself just devouring more and more as I get older, which doesn't always translate to good quality, careful reading. Um, but I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I'm trying to like absorb as much as possible um, to sort of lay the foundation for maybe maybe in, in the future, spending more careful time with, with classics or, or different ideas that I've been able to expose myself to without um, having to start from scratch so I don't know those are just some thoughts that that come to mind and are probably reflected in in the in the list that you perused on my yeah. Goodreads but
0: yeah well it's just interesting how how different people have have different approaches to even similar types of books like I I came to realize in myself that what I would end up doing with any type of book but especially theology book is like, The longer that it was taking me to read i found myself wanting to just like then power through but by power through it was just like almost speed reader skim just to get to the end to say that i read it to check it off and then put it on my goodreads as a book completed and i felt like well maybe that also isn't helpful to me if i'm not actually taking the time to absorb or think about critically what an author is saying um And I don't know, like as recognizing myself, my limitations, my, even just where I am in life, like I, I don't have as much time as I used to have to read, like I said. And so the, the limited time that I do have, I want to make it more impactful. I I, I read more. Um, I, I think I read more books now than I, than I have previously, but I just read them differently, um, but I think that's okay. And I think, I I don't think
1: that's that's more than okay. I think that's 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 why reading is so awesome. Yeah. And that's why the fact that we live, you know, in a world where we have the printing press and I mean and we have even <laughs> way beyond the technology of the printing press to where we can access infinite I mean I mean, with 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 the internet and, and ebooks and things like that especially, you and I can literally access Every, like every book that we could ever read yeah um in, in this moment you know m- maybe we might have to save up for a couple weeks to buy a certain copy or or track something down but like the point is like we have access to every book that's ever been written that we could ever get to and want to get to and so you know in sort of a Kierkegaardian like Anxiety sense that's kind of paralyzing. Like, what do I do? Yeah, it How really do I is. Do that? But on but on the on the flip side of that, it's also just like there. there there's a sense where it's tons of pressure, and it it's no pre- it takes all the pressure away because it's like, well, like I'm going to read whatever at my own pace because I have a whole life. I'm a whole person. I'm not just a reader, or I'm not yeah. just like a reading machine. I'm not I'm not just a a, a you know a, a, a robot that consumes you know, book media or whatever. And if I'm reading a story, you know, it was written, like, speci- like for a reason. Or if I'm reading a, a book, a nonfiction book that's telling, like, giving an argument for some idea, like, that was written for a reason. And if that doesn't if, – if I'm not allowing that to form and shape and inform me, then it's like I, I'm, I'm not even gaining from it. And then it really is just a numbers game, which is meaningless. Um, it's just checking off a box versus, yeah. like – um, and, and you can, you can check off boxes by reading one book a year or reading a hundred books a year. Just like you can, you can feast on one book a year or a hundred books a year. I mean, probably most people can't intent, like really seriously read a hundred books a year, but like, I know I can't. <laughs> like, Unless you're my wife. She did 117 this, this year. Oh my gosh. Dang <laughs> it. <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> um, but all that to say, like it's, it's. It's, it's a lot of fun. I've recently – this is a total sidetrack, and then we can get into, like, poking or, or bringing up uh, some specifics from the books that we, each of us read. But, like, I've recently kind of fallen into um, – what do they call it? Booktube, like, book-themed YouTubers. Um, oh, okay. And, like, uh, there, there's a couple channels in particular uh, that, that talk about, like, science fiction and horror, like, genre literature and it's just, like, it's just, like, this. it's just opening up this whole world of, like, now there's all these, like, old sci-fi books that, maybe like, I've heard of or I haven't heard of. And, like, all these things I've never heard of where I'm, like, that just sounds fun, you know? Yeah. And it's, like, and it's just, like, yeah. these people. It's this whole, like, world of thousands of people who just enjoy reading, like, vintage sci-fi from the 60s. And they and and it's like because of technology as bad as technology is for us it also means now i know I have a whole list of books and authors that i didn't know about before that might not change the way i look at the world but it but they'll be fun yeah <laughs> and it's like well, that's just cool that's just that's just cool. cool and exciting and part of why i love reading is because there's all those cliche quotes about like you know being when you read you're able to you know travel to different worlds and different universes and like it's, it's cliche and it's kind of cheesy, but it is true. <laughs> it is like the possibilities are really only as endless as like what you're willing and interested in reading to, to find and to read. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think in some sense to piggyback off of what you said, like we almost have because of where we live and the time we live and the access to books, whether theological or otherwise, we almost have a greater accountability. Like we, have access to information that in eras past, perhaps they didn't have access to, you know, they had their, their local, uh, like Areopagus type deal where you, you can go and debate things. You had, you know, synagogue or church or, you know, whatever, a place where you can go and hear about God's word. But if you were illiterate, if you couldn't read, if you didn't have access even to books, whether you could read or not, like you didn't, you weren't reading the information that revealed, you know, who who God is, his character, how to live in the world. Like today, when I look at your books, when I look at my books, when I look at my wife's books, it's like you you have a certain sense of like responsibility. You know, if you're reading books about about race and racism, if you're reading books about um theology, sexuality, um apologetics whatever it might be like man that's it's beautiful it's great i love that we have this access but we now have a greater responsibility to to steward those things well to read them well to read carefully i mean you should be somebody who reads widely you shouldn't just pigeonhole yourself into like one little section of the you know theological world or something um but that that it makes it more difficult because you're like there are so many voices, so many competing voices that maybe it's hard to decipher who's right, who's wrong, uh, what's good, what's bad. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. You you mentioned that we that we have this access. We have literally just about any book that's ever been written. We could find whether digital or otherwise. And <laughs> a peek behind the curtain, I'm even getting books that have yet to be published because I'm getting advanced reader copies from publishers. Because we're a big enough podcast now that they unprompted, unprompted sent me several books this last week. You know, I I had reached out, I had I had reached out to IVP like a two two months ago for specific books, which they did send me. But now I'm receiving even more books that are set to come out later this year that I did not ask for. And I'm like, this is amazing. <laughs> and, dude, they sent me a piece of uh, a piece of mail that had, like, the 2023 catalog of upcoming titles, and you could check which books you wanted and in what form, whether advanced reader, when it comes out, or digital, and they're going to send them to me. So, like, that is... First of all, IVP, if you're listening, thanks. That's clutch. Um, Those of you who are listening, I'm sure you will hear us talk more about a lot of these books throughout this year and years coming. Um, But that's crazy that like, not only do we have access to older books, but we have access to books that have not actually yet been put out into the world for people to read at a you know a wider audience. But now that we've talked about books for so long, let's continue talking about these particular books from 2022. I'm looking at your list right now. I do see a lot of theology, but I also see some Hem- Hemingway. Um, I see some Tim Keller. Um, let's see. I see some... Uh, uh, more Hemingway some gentle and lowly there's all kinds of stuff on here some of which I recognize some of which I don't um a couple of the books that stand out to me uh I'm, I'm curious what you might have to say briefly about a book like The Disabled God by Nancy Iceland. Iceland. um also curious about The Trellis and the Vine that's one that I read when I was in youth ministry um I see Christ centered preaching. That's a book that I, I had on my shelf. I would, I, that was one I read parts of, but not all of, but I found some of that interesting back in the day. Um, so yeah, those are a couple of books off the top of my head that I'm curious if you have thoughts on The Trellis and the Vine, The Disabled God. Um, and if you want to talk about Christ centered preaching, we, that's where I'll start. So, what, what, what? How how were those books? What did you think? What was your reasoning for reading them? Perhaps I imagine class, but go ahead and share.
1: Yeah, um, trellis and the vine and Christ Center preaching were assigned books. Christ Center preaching for my preaching course, and trellis and the vine as part of our like ministry internship practicum thing um, that we do here at, at Beast Divinity School, um, which I'm in like the middle of. It's like a it's a it's a two semester thing. Typically, do it during your third, your final year. Or so, um, Charles and the Vine sucks. Like, it's just a bad book. It's, it, like, if you read the cover, and, and to be generous, I'll say, if you read the first two pages, you've got the book. It's a great metaphor. It's spot on. It's really helpful. I actually read it, uh, before college. I, I the summer before I went off to college, I was like an intern at my church at the time that I had grown up in. Um, and we read we, and we read that book, uh, and then I read it again this past semester. and it's just so poorly written. and the entire back half of it is just a commercial for um, like the ministry uh, training program and apprenticeship program that both of the authors are associated with, which is fine. I don't have any like issue with that, but it it just you know, the book was written in O nine and uh, they're in Australia. So it it really didn't feel relevant to me. <laughs> um, so that was that's too bad. Like, but again, the metaphor is great. But the thing is, you can figure it out uh, without having to read the rest of the book once they introduce it on the first page. Um, one thing that is hilarious to me is in, at the very very end, literally, they there's this there's this like page long like thought experiment they give. They're like. As we sit here writing this book, um, we're hearing rumblings about some strange new swine flu disease. And then they go on, and the thought experiment is, imagine that there was a worldwide pandemic, and due to government-enforced uh, you know, mandates, you couldn't meet in person in groups bigger than two or three. What would your ministry look like? And it goes on, and that's... But I was like, that is so... Like it's not that crazy of a thing, but it is hilarious that like to it. It's funny to go back and read it, read the thought experiment um, that turned that you know a decade later, decade plus later, actually happened uh, around the world. So perhaps that that you know having. That that maybe gives the book a little more a little more value in terms of at least well, pe- if people thought about that at all. You know, that is read real
0: and great. I mean, it's it, this is what I love about reading. You're reading a book that's what almost 15 years old or whatever. It has a thought experiment about something that had up you know in their lifetime, right at that moment, hadn't really happened. But in 2020, as we've already alluded to earlier this episode, we had a global pandemic where things shut down, where things changed, and we're still sort of navigating through some of the you know the fallout so it's like yeah that that the thought experiment became reality and how did I'm, I'm curious how many people who have read this book or know the book well remembered that thought experiment and had the the thought of like yeah. yes how how will our ministry look how will we adapt what will we do that's yeah that's super interesting i don't yeah. I, I don't remember that from when i read it so that's yeah that's it's really a really funny
1: it's a really small thing and it's not like a major part of it so and I think it's in an appendix which um pe- people might have skipped um I I have like this thing and and I I tend to razz my friends here at Beeson um about it because none of them agree with me but like if I don't read a, the preface and the introduction and any appendices I can't I mentally I can't count it as that I finished the book uh so I always Make myself do that,
0: so I, so I. Don't. So wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. So we we interviewed Joseph Gordon. I mentioned towards the end that his book is not nearly as daunting as it might appear because it looks really <laughs> thick. It's a, it's a thick book on a thick topic, but the actual substance of the book is only about two hundred and fifty pages, not the four hundred some odd pages that it actually contains, because like the back half of the book is all of his notes. So instead of having footnotes in the you know, the reading of the book, he has his end notes. Does this mean that you, like, read all of the end notes? You read all of the little discussions that he has with himself and, you know, pointing to, um, you know, you know, number one, number two, number three. Like, is that something that, that you do? Or, I mean, I'm curious. I, for, well, I will say, first of all, that I don't always, like, I'll read some of the notes, but especially when it's an end note, I have a really hard time um, like flipping back and forth like I find myself losing the train of thought and so I prefer footnotes and so when there are footnotes, I typically will try to read most of the footnotes but, but yeah. I'm curious did you read all that back half all of those endnotes because I see it on your list here. I see it on your yeah yeah no so so for, for those keeping score uh, in the the, the paperback,
1: Edition. I don't know what the hardcover was like, but in the paperback edition that we got from Notre Dame Press um, of Divine Scripture and Human Understanding, pages 269 through 442 are so almost 200 notes, pages. End notes, bibliography, and uh, a general index, a scriptural index. So, almost 200 pages of uh, end matter. So no, I did not read every single note. I definitely didn't read the bibliography and right, just read read the index. So I, I will say, um, basically, the main body of text. So like in my mind, a so I did I didn't, but I did read, you know, page pages Roman numerals seven through nine acknowledgments. Yeah, yep. I actually read the acknowledgments. Uh, and then after that, there's, it, he just gets right into it. He, there's not like a preface or whatever, but um, prefaces, forewords, uh, introductions, you know, introductions or forewords written by other people afterwards, um, appendix, you know, an appen- you know, like appendix, yeah. uh, a brief discussion of fill in the blank. Um, I do read all of those, um, you know, footnotes. If I don't read every word of a footnote, which an endnote and a footnote is, has the same content. Um, I don't count that because like, I, I I read the the notes that are relevant. Like if I right. see a footnote or an endnote uh, number, and I'm like, oh, I want to see where he's getting this from, or oh, I want to see what this idea is about more. I'll I'll look at it, but 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 you know, most of the time, like when they're footnotes, I'll glance down and see if there's something more expansive than just like just the citation or whatever. Um, so yeah, I guess my my um, it's not every every uh, jot and tittle that is printed in a book, but it's every, every word that is, that is printed in the main body of the text. I feel the need to, to read. So, so anyway, um, it's also this also, talking about trellis and the vine and the swine flu thing also reminds me like the first or second week of the pandemic, Elaine and I watched contagion, which I mm-hmm. had never seen before, which is a movie about a global pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's about like, it is, it's also like, uh, you know, cons, you know, on your tinfoil hats i guess like the disease and contagion comes from uh (laughs) it's passed from a bat to to a human in china like it's it's there's a few eerie sort of history and art kind of rhyme with each other kind of thing um but that was not a fun you know when we knew nothing about covid except stay inside that was not a fun movie to watch i don't know why we watched it (laughs) (laughs) but anyway um so so yeah so um, Charleston the vine was not a great read but it did it did yield a funny like thought experiment about swine flu which which is also funny to me because I remember swine flu you know I was in like Same. sixth grade or seventh grade or something and like I I remember hearing about it um just I don't I don't remember what I heard about it but I just but it's funny it's funny to look back and be like yeah swine flu was not a problem I'm not saying nobody died I don't know I'm just saying like yeah on a big scale, it wasn't a problem. Obviously, um, other diseases were much bigger problems as history went on. (laughs) But um, then Christ-centered preaching, I also didn't really like. Um, It's about a 400-page book that probably could be, realistically, I'm going to be fair here, could probably be between 100 and 150 pages and say all the same stuff. Um, I didn't really have any content issues per se. It's just a very sort of, it's a classic, I think, in like, evangelical protestant homiletics like classes it's it's very uh, i believe my impression is it's a very sort of standards uh um homiletics book in that in that type of school setting um and and it's basically just arguing for and and sort of uh discussing how to produce very like middle of the road straight and narrow sort of vaguely reformed Protestant, uh, expository sermons. Um, so kind of straightforward in that sense, because a lot of that is at least adjacent to where I can I grew up in. Um, if not, if not exactly in terms of preaching. Um, and then the one I'm most excited about, uh, which is one of the more, one of the more interesting books I read in the year, maybe not one of the better books I read, but the disabled God was just for fun. Um, right around the time we, we, pitched to each other the idea of doing an episode on disability theology and disability and sickness in general, which um, was a few, a couple months at least, I think, or, or at least a few weeks uh, before we actually did the episode, we had talked about doing it and put it on the docket. So um, right around that time, you know, a little bit before we talked about doing that episode and then throughout the time leading up to actually doing it was when I read that book during that time. Um, I've just had uh, this interest in disability theology just kind of growing in the back of my head. I, I have nowhere, no real outlet for it in my current, you know, the thesis I'm working on or the classes I'm taking. Um, I don't have anything where I'm really doing a, like a, a, a sustained engagement with it. But it's something that I'm really interested in because of, um, because of, uh, especially uh, just health chronic health condition and, and issues that my wife Elaine faces um, as well as some, you know, other family members and friends that I know. Um, no names being named, but, uh, but yeah, like it, it's something that I'm really interested in. And and so I was looking for books that our library at school had, and this was one that popped up and it's basically a, it was a thesis at uh Candler school of theology in the nineties um, down at Emory in Atlanta. And, um, it's it's a it's a it's a good like starting point and there are some really interesting roads that she kind of maps out um, she unfortunately has passed away but she was a, a disabled um, I don't know I don't know uh, anything about her other than the fact that she wrote this book she was a theologian of some of some stripe I don't know how she would describe herself and she was disabled um, and this is this is basically I think the subtitle of that book is like toward a liberatory theology of disability um, it's basically like a a, a efforts at, at sort of mapping out a disability liberation theology. Um, and I thought it was really good for giving me some, some things to think about on practical and more theoretical levels about thinking through how I want to approach disability as a Christian, right? And and, and this expands beyond physical disability, mental disability, other forms of, of um, emotional or mental disability. Um, Developmental or 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 social challenges, as well as uh, chronic illness, or even not chronic illness, just just sickness and illness in general that aren't necess- don't necessarily fall under the category of quote unquote disability. But disability being the sort of specific version of that kind of thing that I'm I'm interested in thinking through because that's something that doesn't just go away, right? Like what we call disability is something that's permanent and that changes the way you're able to be in the world that's that's just how it is um and so yeah i thought it was a really interesting book it's 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 an academic thesis written like one so it's not it's not a, the most compelling read it's the kind of thing that i would want to consult or at least i'd want to be in conversation with if i was producing something not necessarily something that i want to like recommend to people to start with um and it, and it but it did whet my appetite for thinking more, but especially reading more about and from the perspective of disability theology. Um, like I'm really interested in a- a- uh, Amos Young, who I think we mentioned, I'm sure I did in that, um, in the disability episode we did. He's got like a 400 page book on theology and Down syndrome. Um, and I want to read, I really want to read that. And, and my interest in that was only sort of uh, increased by dipping my toes a little bit into that water with this disabled god. And and where the disabled god title kind of comes from um and and I'll I'll end this section with this little segment with uh with this thought. But it is it is one of the one of the intriguing things that I think I think there's a lot of meat here theologically that needs to be worked out more than she does in in this because it's a it's a pretty short book. Um and this is a this is a, a you know just one chapter of it, but she she talks about the The way that we as Christians we confess and we practice and we believe that we I know there are disagreements, but in some sense we receive grace through the broken body of our God in communion in the Eucharist. So, so that's kind of where that comes from, God. You know, and 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 maybe maybe you you disagree with her on this, but you know, God making Himself, God sort of. Entering into disability in a sense, um, in that his body is broken. You know, not not necessarily that he spent his life confined to a wheelchair or anything like that, but he 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 does undergo um, a physical breaking, a physical disabling. You know, in his death, that uh, is in some sense uh, continually. You know. Um, held up before us as the source of our redemption, um, which is really interesting um, to think about what that does to a, a Christian view of the disabled body and, and not just, um, you know, not, not, not looking at disability as abnormality maybe um, and, and physical ability as, as normality and maybe thinking a little bit differently um, about how we approach categories and, and try and put people in boxes and stuff um, which which sounds kind of vague because it is I'm still thinking about about not just that book but just the topic in general but that was that was one of the more interesting books I read because it did open up all these questions that I've sort of touched at here. Um, and it wasn't that long so it was it wasn't too hard to fit in between my papers and stuff <laughs> so I appreciate that too. Um, yeah, yeah I mean, I think I'll probably do the same to you. Um, just kind of kick a few a few uh ideas or or specific titles your way, unless you've got something you wanna to follow up on with what I just said. But um, one of the things that stuck out to me was and I, I remember I remember seeing this like throughout the year as you were updating your Goodreads when it would like I'd scroll through and see what my Goodreads friends were updating or whatever. Um, was you read, I, did, I should have counted them, but there, there's a there's a, a lot compared to me, which was zero, <laughs> of um, biographies. And not just biographies, and, and well, I'll say like biography slash memoir slash autobiography, but um, a lot of biographical works. Um, and I believe, at least the ones you put on Goodreads, I believe they were all um, figures from music either artists or people associated with artists or, um, in bands or that kind of thing, which is, you know, not surprising to me. Um, I know it's come up a lot on the podcast, but obviously even more in real life, just knowing your love of music and, um, really like cult, like a really like sort of a, um, Oh, what's the word? Um, dang it like a refined, I feel like you have a very refined musical palette compared to me. <laughs> like, uh, like, a, like you're, very, you're very, you strike, you, I feel like I, you know, seeing your, your like record collection and, and the way you talk about music, I feel like you're much more of a connoisseur than me. A connoisseur. Um, <laughs> but regardless of that, um, or how you yeah. feel about that, you know, like we've got biographies. I'm not going to differentiate memoirs or, or biographies that other people wrote, but like Lou Reed, um, the, the Making of Blonde on Blonde, um, where's the, there was another interesting one, like a Frank Zappa one, um, all that kind of stuff. Um, what sort of like, I, I guess, I guess what I'll start with is like, like on the theme of like, you know, musical biographies is, was there like sort of a, did you go like on a kick where like in one weekend you found all these books and like put them all on your list and then were reading them throughout the year? Or or did it kind of accidentally happen that you read a bunch of books about musicians, you know? Um, Because obviously you love books and you love music, so it's that's not the craziest thing, if you know. But like, was, was it was it was it kind of intentional or accidental? And then also like, if you had to sort of look back on either a specific figure or a specific work that you read, or just sort of general themes from looking at musical figures from this perspective of reading a history of them, so to speak. Like, what was something that stood out to you or maybe that you learned or like an impression you got about maybe anything from from music itself to fame to a certain time in in history? Because a lot of these figures were, um, you know, are not necessarily like in the prime of their life or career today, you know, especially somebody like Lou Reed or um, Bob Dylan and Frank Zappa obviously are are you know like i imagine i imagine a, a, a biography of Zappa is going to give you like really unique insights into not just a unique person but like a different time than than yeah. we are as well as that so i don't know if if any of that makes sense but just sort of like thoughts and impressions from um spending a good a decent amount of time like I think I before we hit record like that Lou Reed book that you read is like 500 pages like that's not a short biography so so quite a bit of time over the course of
0: the year with musical biographies just thoughts impressions all that kind of stuff yeah I mean so the way that it started at the end of 2021 my wife and I had been at the library we were nearing the end of the year um I don't, I don't check out a ton of library books because I have a lot of books on my shelf. And I find if I get a book from the library, I don't read the books that are on my shelf or I'll get a book from the library, but I don't read it because I'm reading the books on my shelf and then I just return it unread. So, but I, at the time I had a, I was in a really big Joni Mitchell kick. Like I had been listening to a bunch of Joni Mitchell, um, I happened to walk by the section that said, uh, you know, biographies and it was the way that our library breaks it down. You know, there's like actors, musicians, uh, world history, you know, your Lincolns, your Eisenhowers, stuff like that. And so when I saw the music one, I saw Joni Mitchell's name um, pop out. So I was like, oh, that'd be really interesting. Like I'm listening to a bunch of her music. I'd be curious to read more about her life. Um, So that's how it started. It started by reading a Joni Mitchell book. And during that same time, last, so this time last year, if you recall, I was working at a record store. So part time, in addition to my full time job, I was working at a record store like 10 to 15 hours a week, mainly just because like I wanted to. It wasn't like we needed the money. I just, I. I wanted to be around people that like were into music, that loved music. I wanted the, the the perks of like a discount, and you know I'm already buying records, might as well get them cheaper or whatever. Um, and so like in conversations with so many of my my coworkers, like they were all well read, whether it was Wikipedia or wherever else they were getting information. And there were times where I found myself like, man, I don't know as much about music or artists as I thought I did. Um, and I was like, I really enjoyed that Joni Mitchell book. Like, I'd be curious to see what other books exist out there. Um, and so, for example, a couple of the books that I read this year that, that were biographies, this one happened to be a memoir by Jeff Tweedy, who's the lead singer of Wilco. Um, super interesting book because at the beginning of the year, I was really into Wilco. Um, this talks about like his time, you know, as a kid growing up, his, um, uh, you know the bands he was in before Wilco his time in the band and since and so that was something that just like really fascinated me like there there's something about um uh, you know sometimes you know we, people bands uh, artists athletes tv sp- like we we put these people on pedestals right because they're quote unquote famous if i if you i think this is a vastly underrated uh, um episode that we've done But we did The Cult of Celebrity way back when, early 2020. Um, Really interesting look into that world of like, what is celebrity? Celebrity culture? Why do we elevate and put people on pedestals? They're just people who happen to be more recognizable because they've done something. You know what I mean? Um, Like, that's not even why we do this podcast. Lucas and I have no aspirations of being famous. We just like, we love theology. We like talking about it. And we're glad that some of you find interest in it too. Um, and so what, what's interesting when you read these books, especially when they're written well, whether it's by the person themselves or by somebody else, um, like you get that peek at the, the real life of these people. I mean, like Jeff writes about his his um, his problem with pills and drugs and uh, stuff of that nature. So sometimes sometimes we, we we're so enamored by like the music that people make, the, the concerts, the the output that we forget that there's like a person that there's a a soul behind what we see on social media or otherwise um so to get that like glimpse that like uh that real that raw um unfolding of of who they are like it it you know it, it it's it is in a sense spiritual i mean they're talking about their their sin they're talking about their Um, their shortcomings, their failures as husbands, as fathers. Um, And so as much as it is entertaining and interesting, it's also like instructive and informative. Like there have been times throughout this year where I, you know, I read certain books or whatever, where I'm like, wow, like this has real life application even to me. Um, Another great book that I read this year in again, that you, you are correct. They were all music related um darker than the deepest sea um by trevor dan it's a biography on nick drake now i'm sure most people haven't heard of nick drake he was a uh, uh very interestingly he was a musician who lived at the uh well i mean he lived for a while but he he made music at the end of the 60s early 70s um he took his own life um it, it could have been accidental but it, it appeared to be a, a an overdose that was intentional um but he like in his life in the short time that he was recording music, like he just had like absolutely the worst luck, like just over and over and over and over, like never had true, um, you know, notoriety in his day when he was alive, like his records just didn't sell. They weren't that popular. They're really hard to find. Like if you want to try to find an original press of his albums today, if you have one, you're going to be paying a pretty penny. Um, but what's interesting is in 1999, Volkswagen released a commercial featuring one of his songs, and he blew up overnight. I mean, think about 1999. The Internet was just coming into the, the picture. People had access to things that they hadn't previously had access to. Um, and so he's become like a, a, a cultural figure 30 years after his death and, and more now, 30, 40, 50 years beyond his death Um, but like to read, read about this life, the life of somebody who, who from all outward appearances, like he was, um, he came from a wealthy family. He was well-educated. He went to school, um, was a very talented artist and musician, but just like, because of life circumstances, the, the hand he was dealt, like he had a lot of hardship, a lot of hard days, um. Which I think is like, it would, we would maybe in some ways do well to remember that even those who are well off, like have hardship, they struggle with anxiety, they struggle with depression, uh, things that they don't necessarily have control over. Um, and so to get a picture into into his life, his thinking, his, his body of work, um, just like made me appreciate it even more. Like when you... <laughs> what so you you're right i in a way i am a connoisseur of music i i'm not just somebody who's listening to the top 40 hits or whatever just because it's what everyone else is listening to like i care about the 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 message of the music i care about the um the means that it's communicated, you know, whether some like Rage Against the Machine, for example. I used to listen to Rage Against the Machine when I was a kid. I don't know what I was listening to it for. Like, I loved Tom Morello's guitar playing, but I listen to Rage Against the Machine now, and I'm like, holy crap, dude, those are some like, those lyrics cut deep. I, that's I wish. Why, I mean, that's why my, you know, my love of Rage Against the
1: Machine has only increased as I've gotten older. Same.
0: <laughs> same. The, things that, the things that Zach De La Rocha has to say and the way that they communicate it, like, man, that's, that's powerful stuff. Like that's, that's a, a great platform and a great way to like speak to realities that need to be spoken to. And, you know, maybe if you just post an article or you say it somewhere, people aren't going to listen, but when it's popularized music, like it has a different effect and a, you know, it has a farther reach. Um, but to, to read a book, um, about, about Nick Drake, to read a book about Frank Zappa and his life, um, also a very strange man very strange like life and music and very bizarre I can't even get into it there's not enough time to talk about the the strange things in that book um yeah the the book on Lou Reed um who also lived a very very interesting fast loose wild life, sexually with drugs with um relationships like just a a very very sad life in many respects too um there there was almost like a theme not on purpose but i also read crying in h mart which is by michelle zahner who if you're familiar with japanese breakfast um she's a a, an asian american um singer songwriter musician who um, wrote a memoir about her mother um her mother who passed away and sort of like as an Asian American, you know, her mom is Korean, her dad's not, I think he's like Irish or something, but he's, he's Caucasian. So she, she has this certain type of life. She's, she's had even, you know, the different, uh, the upbringing, the different, uh, you know, the American side, the Korean side, um, what it looked like to, to, to live with her mom, to love her mom, to struggle with her mom, um, to, to have her mom die when she's, or at least get really sick when she's in school and out living on her own. And then eventually to die, like, just all really like, you know, sad, but meaningful and powerful things like to, to wrestle with death, to wrestle with, um, you know, family trauma, to wrestle with, uh, relationship dynamics. Like, again, these are their, their biographies, their autobiographies, memoirs, whatever you want to call them. And they're not just pure entertainment, but they're, they're instructive, they're informative, they're, they're, they shape, um, how we think about our Lives and the people that we that we live with, um. So yeah, those are those are some of the things that I felt like were were worth sharing on some of these books. I did read that uh, it's called That Thin Wild Mercury Sound. It was about the making of Blonde on Blonde, which is my favorite Bob Dylan album. So it was just really interesting to read a book specifically about that era, like you know what led up to it, how he made it, the impact that it had. Um, that was a very good book. Uh, if you're into a band like Neutral Milk Hotel, one of my favorite bands, I have a tattoo of the album cover on on my body here. Um, but endless, endless. Um, the subtitle is a lo-fi history of the Elephant Six mystery. Um, Elephant Six is the the record label, or the that's not even a good word for it. It's more of like a collective. It's a back in the the 90s, it was a a group of people from like Athens, Georgia. Who were just making music um, in a way that other people weren't making music. They weren't trying to be mainstream, um, but like Neutral Milk Hotel sort of like was the one or one of the bands that that broke out of that that like met wide sweeping acclaim. Um, if you if you are familiar, or if you're not, Neutral Milk Hotel released an album called In the Aeroplane Over the Sea. Um, a lot of it based on the diary of Anne Frank, which the lead singer Jeff Mangum um, like found and read and found just really compelling and interesting and so had a lot to write about. Um, but that album was made. They went on a European tour. They came back from the tour, and he's like, we're done, more or less. He's like, I, that was exhausting. I can't do it. Like He's a very reclusive guy, even today. Again, he never necessarily wanted fame or notoriety um but like this album has developed a cult following i'm sure you've seen it the the picture is like a a lady with what looks like a potato looks like a tambourine looks like a drum head a chip whatever you want to call it i've heard like a thousand different things like waving uh, from a dock as there's some people in the background appearing to be drowning in the sea um so this this album has garnered a cult following um and so to to read about the history, like these group of this group of people that was very malleable, They all played in each other's bands and um, you know, went on small tours and all that. Um, and what does it look like to then have a little bit of fame, a little bit of notoriety when some people want that to continue when others don't? And I don't know. again, so much of what I read was entertaining. It was interesting to read some of the history about artists that I'm interested in. I mean, I love Frank Zappa. I love Bob Dylan. I love Nick Drake. I love Wilco. I love Neutral Milk Hotel. Um, but the lessons that were learned, the the application that I took as I, you know, stepped away from those books and 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 contemplated them more deeply, um, that's what impacted me in 2022. Is like taking things from these people's lives and thinking like, how can I do this? How can I not do these other things? What are ways in which I can be a better friend, be a better husband, be a better worker, whatever it might be. So that's, that's what I have to say about some of these books.
1: That's awesome. Yeah. Um, if you've made it this far, you can tell that without planning it, uh, deciding to talk about, Books is, you know, on the upper end of our <laughs> episode runtime. Um, I don't know if you have any like other other uh burning questions or thoughts, either about about books in general or specific books that either of us read, but um I mean I'd say the twenty twenty three uh recording sessions are off to a great start. This was a lot of fun. Same. Um I think it's probably probably we should quit while we're ahead. Maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the only, um, yeah. The only thing I want to do is I want you to give me your three favorite books, or if you want, uh, yes. maybe you want to do two, one or two, just but no more than three of your favorite books from this year. And you know, this is sort of like the the application or the recommendation if you're looking for books in the new year. These are books that you think our readers or our, sorry our listeners should read. Yep. 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 Um. So I'm going to say
1: in no particular order, I'll, I'll give you three, um, that, that, especially ones that I think like anyone should read. Um, oh man, I don't know if I can keep it to three. All right. What I'll do is this. Okay. For like fiction novels, um, I would say probably crime and punishment, or I'm going to cheat and also say a farewell to arms by Hemingway, um is a lot quicker of a read so you know take your pick Um for sort of like theological or theological adjacent literature Um for <laughs> I'm gonna cheat again like I read a collection of ancient eastern christian texts and translation called eastern christianity a reader highly recommend it um, it's got you know sections on different languages, Arabic, Syriac, Ethiopic. Uh, great, 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 great. Um, but I also uh, reread For the Life of the World by Alexander Schmemann, and uh, it's it was in my list of books that I think every single Christian should read early on in the life of this podcast. And uh, I think that I actually like it more, having reread it more recently. Um, and then for, like, non-theological related uh, just – nonfiction reading in general. Um, This is Your Mind on Plants by Michael Pollan. Um, Sort of embarrassingly, I read that after listening to uh, a Joe Rogan episode where Michael Pollan talked about this book and the ideas in it with Joe Rogan. Um, You don't need to listen to the, I mean, it might be shorter to listen to the episode than to read the book, but um, very just fascinating. He, he He looks at opium, caffeine, and mescaline. These psychoactive uh, plant compounds or compounds produced by plants and just sort of explores them. Um, I wasn't really familiar with his work, but so if, if you're not, he's, he's, he's basically a journalist and a writer. Um, he's really into, um, what do you call it? Uh, not herbology, that's Harry Potter, but like uh, gardening and, and, and raising plants and tending plants, that kind of thing. Horticulture, um, horticulture, <laughs> exactly. I like herbology, uh, though. That's herbology. <laughs> He's really into herbology. Um, and uh, it was a great read. It's an easy read. He's a very engaging writer, um, and it's just really interesting. And and I, I've been telling people in my family this: if you just check out the book from the library and just read the middle chapter on caffeine, that's that's worth worth your time. All you got to do. So, nice. so interesting. So what about you?
0: Yeah, uh, so. I recognize that not everybody's into comic books, not everybody is maybe interested in uh, musical biographies, but if you are, um, again, in no particular order, like you said, a book that I think everyone should read, and it's been on the top of the like New York bestsellers book list all year, but Crying in H Mart, like, such a good book, really powerful, really moving very interesting, especially if you know you're into music, but also if you're just into like the dynamics of of culture and upbringing and familial things, like all very important, all very relevant, I think, in our in our current world. Um, another book I'll recommend because um, I I I just I this year is where I discovered Nick Drake myself. I think more people should be into his music. Um, if you want to get a good introduction, not only to his music, but his life, like I mentioned, darker than the deepest sea, um, which is a a lyric from one of his songs. It's the title of the book about him, but that's one that's really interesting. Um, and then I'll throw out a comic book recommendation. Um, I, I have the, the Marvel unlimited subscription service. So I, I read comics on my iPad. Um, this year, if you recall, there was a, a, um, uh, a Disney Plus show about Moon Knight, a very not-so-popular Marvel character. I mean, maybe now more popular because of the show. Um, but but the Moon Knight run, um, I'm trying to remember who the main people were here. Let me just pull it up on this list. So Brian Wood, Greg Smallwood, Justin Greenwood. Apparently, you just had to have the name Wood in your name, the the, the word Wood in your name, to, to make this Moon Knight, but um very good very very uh i think it's something like 20 28 issues total but like a really good more recent run of moon knight which i really enjoyed earlier this year um bonus this is just for like comedic effect um i also read a justice league power rangers crossover um this is tom Tom taylor It was surprisingly super good. I mean, it's the Justice League and the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Like, what else could you ask for? It was a lot of fun to read. So those are some of my recommendations. (laughs) Take it to do with it as you will.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, we're going to wrap up there. Thanks for tuning in, as always, uh, to the Doxology podcast. Um, Let us know what you read, um, your top three or your collection of recommendations, however you want to do it. We'd love to... We'd love to hear, I mean, you know, if this episode proved anything, it's that we like books. So give us some more ideas of things to read. Uh, you can send those recommendations to us via Twitter or other social media at Doxology Podcast, uh, or by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We're looking forward to this year. We've got some good stuff, you know, that we're, we're sort of trying to cook up, but regardless, uh, hope you guys had a great Christmas or, you know, as it's still Christmas, 12 days of Christmas and, um, Uh, new year and all that jazz that you had a good relaxing holiday season and that uh you know you'll stick with us for this next year we're coming up on our third anniversary crazy that'll be fun until next time see you peace out